Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is... <laughs> I have to start over again. Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 163, I want to say. It's not in front of me. I should start writing it down. I apologize. Nobody cares. So um, we've got a lot to get to, a lot of strange things to get to. Uh, but before we do, and before I even introduce my uh, co-host, I want to say a few announcements. Number one... Uh, at this point, I, I, I'm trying to incorporate like a verbal eye roll when I say this. We have once again been nominated for a podcast award. Uh, voting begins on May 29th. So if you want to go in and vote for us, you're welcome to do so. The reason that I roll my eyes is because we have been nominated every year since More Than One Lesson has existed. Now, that's very exciting, but we've never won and we're never going to. So, uh, you know, I appreciate those that that put that submitted us for nomination. It is fun to be nominated. It's nice to be considered uh, in that regard. Um, and admittedly, if we weren't nominated, I'd be like, well, what's, what's wrong with this year? What are we doing wrong this year? Uh, but yeah, so the 29th, if you want to vote for us, that's great. Um, it would be neat to win. I am, I don't, I'm not expecting that, uh, but nonetheless, it would be fun. Uh, okay. And then also I wanted to say a couple of other things. Uh, I have a written review of the new X-Men Apocalypse over at Battleship Pretension. So I will link to it in the show notes here. But uh, if you are interested to see what I think about that, the latest blockbuster film, uh, check out uh, Battleship Pretension. Uh, and then also I was recently a guest on the Andrew Claven show. Uh, for those that, are, that don't know, Andrew Claven is a... He's a novelist and a screenwriter, but lately he has, while he continues to do those things, lately he's become known primarily, I'd say, as a political commentator. And so he has, uh, he has a, a podcast that is a, an audio podcast, but then also for you know subscribers, it is also a video podcast. But you can find, uh, so I was recently a guest on there. Um, as of recording, I haven't been on yet. I'm going to be on tomorrow morning. So if it winds up, if that winds up getting pushed, then uh, I'm going to have to cut all this out. But if uh, if you're interested in hearing me talk uh, about uh, politics and culture and, and film and the way it all uh, interacts with each other, then check me out on uh, the Andrew Claven podcast. I will say that he is a political commentator and he is politically conservative. And um, if that's a thing that bothers you, then keep that in mind. And I'd say listen to it anyway, because, you know, never hurts to have another point of view. So, and then if you found us as a function of the Andrew Clavin show, uh, welcome. I appreciate you uh, making the long walk over to More Than One Lesson, and feel free to check out other episodes. We Every episode that we have ever recorded is available at morethanonelesson.com and iTunes. So... Uh, I think that, oh no, there is one more thing. So I was recently, um, I was in a, uh, I was on Facebook and I was looking over posts in a, in a specific group that I belong to that is not unlike more than one lesson, we, Christians talking about film. And I put out, I put out the question, what is your favorite movie of all time? And I got a lot of responses and, uh, Honestly, a lot of them were fairly standard responses, and I found myself thinking, like, I wonder what the difference would be with my listeners. So, in the comments of this post, say your favorite movie of all time. You can only pick one. I don't want any ties. I don't want you to say, well, it's probably one of these. Pick one and go with it, because I'm really interested to see uh, 
the artistic demographic uh, of my listeners, because it actually, especially for an episode like this, because maybe nobody cares about today's episode. And what is, what is today's episode about? Well, I'll tell you. But before I tell you, I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Doing good. All right. You got some sultry tones going on there. Oh, know, yeah. Very, uh, all right, very low. <laughs> Let's just talk like this. The I time. was going to go sort of like, you know, DJ with this one. Like, yeah. Like a late night right. DJ. Like, ladies and gentlemen. Like a, like a, in a 70s thriller or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Play Misty for Hope me. Hope everybody out there is having a good night. Absolutely. And then you get a call from like a frantic woman like, well, hang on now. What's going on? <laughs> we can help you out there, uh, honey. <laughs> yeah. He still stays in his DJ cadence. Yeah. <laughs> So okay. you're going to want to call 911 as quick as possible. And while you do that, here's some Sade. <laughs> you picked the, just the right person for 2.15 a.m. So, okay. So we are talking about now already we're heading down an odd path because I want to make sure I get this guy's name right. Yorgos Lanthimos is how I'm saying it. Does I that think sound that's right? correct. Okay. Yorgos Lanthimos's film The Lobster. Now, this is the only film of his that I have seen. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for Dogtooth, or rather his film was non- nominated for an Oscar for mm-hmm. Best Foreign Film. I haven't seen that film. I've heard it's wonderful. It sounds delightfully uh, off-kilter. Um, yeah. And based on having seen The Lobster, I believe it. Yeah. I have seen it, and I, I, I enjoy it a lot. It's... it's uh, like this one, it's a bit upsetting at times. Sure. And the whole... Um, I don't know. I think similarly, it has a a, a very striking premise. Um, it feels very stark, and it's funny and uncomfortable in turns. I feel like uh, he he has a way of kind of balancing out his humor with <laughs> horrifying things. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is definitely no exception. Uh, which of the two do you like more? I think I like this more. Okay. Because I think this one had more humor in it. The other one was more, um, a lot of just, I can't believe this moments. Yeah. Which are kind of uh, funny in, 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 in an incredulous sort of way. Sure. But uh, not as many just purposefully humorful, humorous moments. Yeah. Um, in that one. Yeah. And this one, it sounds like it's it's sort of, an inverse, whereas this one is a comedy with a lot of with, with a handful of really really tough to watch moments. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that it sounds like a lot of tough to watch moments with some with some good comedy. Yeah. Um, so the lobster, it it's hard. It's I guess it's it's kind of hard to explain what it's about. But in other cases, it's <laughs> it's really deceptively easy. easy. Yeah. Um, so it takes place in a in the not too distant future, and we live in a society where. Uh, where it's everything's about couplehood. Everything's about finding a partner, whether it be a wife or a husband or a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, as long as you're paired up with somebody, then you're good. But if your spouse or, or, or uh, significant other, your partner, if they break up with you or they die, you are now single and you need to be dealt with. Now, here's how that works. You get sent off to the hotel. It's a really nice resort hotel you're taken good care of. And while you are there, you have 45 days to find a new partner and fall deeply in love with them. <laughs> if or that else. doesn't happen, then 
you will be physically transformed into an animal of your choosing. <laughs> and so the lobster of the title is the animal of choice for our main character, David, played by Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. So it's it starts with his girlfriend or wife. I don't remember exactly. Wife, I think. I think it's his wife, yeah. His wife is is leaving him, and so he goes off to the, uh, to the hospital, and we just see his uh, misadventures. That sounds wrong, but just... We see him at the hospital and it's, we see him observing things. And unlike some of the other people who maybe are a bit more desperate to avoid going the, to the, the hotel. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Hotel. Not okay. hospital. Pardon me. I was like, did I miss something? Uh, there is a hospital in there, but that's at the end. Uh, spoilers. There's a hospital. Uh, but no, so Come he on. goes, he goes to the hotel and other people are not necessarily desperate to avoid the animal room. Uh, but there seems to be more of an urgency. Whereas for him, he's still kind of numb and is just sort of observing things and doesn't really start to feel that urge until, you know, for a while, maybe when not, not that it's too late or anything like that, but that, uh, when he can, when he can tell that he's running out of time, you can, you can tell that he's, uh, he, he becomes totally pragmatic. There's no element of, of, uh, love or connection or anything like that. And it's just, I, I don't want to be turned into an animal. So, yeah. And so there is a moment, you know, one of the things, and I don't want to spoil too much because frankly, th- there is a joy to this movie. I will say this is my favorite movie of the year so far. I think it's mine too. Um, there is a certain, it sounds strange to say with a movie that is as deadpan as this and is yeah. as kind of creepy as this at times. But there's a real joy to the way things unfold and the mm-hmm. way things are revealed. Because for a while, it just, maybe I'm overstating, for a while, it seems like, okay, this is just kind of a standard hotel. Everything is going to function normally. The one difference is that after 45 days, this <laughs> terrible thing happens. But aside yeah. from that, it's normal. It is not normal. Yeah. Um, and that is something that is discovered bit by bit. Yeah. Over the course, the way of, they reveal it all yeah. is very is very effective. Yeah, um, and you come to realize just how micromanaged this world is. Yeah, um, and you know, and it's hard for me to talk about this without even get it without immediately getting into the theme because mm-hmm. I think the theme is so thoroughly interwoven with every scene. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we'll stick with um, we'll just stick with kind of the the surface. Uh, I sounds wrong to say surface either, but we'll stick with the artistic details and then we'll move into, uh, we'll move into, uh, themes. So, uh, leading with expectation, um, I had sim, I think this movie, I think was supposed to come out here last year. Yeah, it was. Um, I was looking forward to it when I heard about it. I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. It sounded, it sounded potentially goofy but also it could be really really pretentious Mm -hmm. and the answer is it's both it winds up being both and uh and i was just i was a little bit not necessarily cautious but it was like all right we'll see how this turns out and as i said it's my favorite movie of the year i was just so i was emotionally and intellectually engaged with it uh Mm. and just you know, it wasn't immediately my favorite movie of the year. It has become, I've saw it maybe three or four weeks ago. Mm. Actually, I saw it for uh, much, maybe like two months ago now that I think about it. But I, but I wrote my review probably two weeks ago. Mm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't my favorite movie of the year immediately. 
it had I needed some time on it, and sure enough, it just hung on there like a lobster's claws <laughs> snatch it, you know, snapping <laughs> onto my brain, and it just wasn't letting go. And so, um, so yeah, it is currently it could get knocked out, but I can't imagine it dropping out of my top ten. It is currently my favorite movie of the year. Your general thoughts about the film. You said you enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And I, I was looking forward to it a lot because I had seen the trailer last year. So I was expecting mm-hmm. it to come out last year. Um, then was disappointed when it didn't. Um, but after I saw it the one time, I, I, I liked both the tone and the visuals in the trailer. And I feel like the film actually delivers on both of those. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy something that has kind of a... kind of a sardonic tone Mm -hmm. i I think i generally enjoy comedies like that and this definitely had that um but it's not too detached at the same time um yeah because it could have been very cold and it's it's see it skirts that yeah yeah it's not quite that i think it i think it shows you I think it makes the characters kind of cold because of the society that they live in. Yeah. And it's pointing out why that happens or how that sort of attitude can develop. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that it, it, um, it keeps that sort of, like I said, sardonic tone, but still the, the stakes still stay high. The, um, uh, you are invested in the characters and there's it has enough of an edge to it that it it doesn't feel safe boy that's true yeah. from beginning to end yeah which is good because i think i think it would just kind of be too light and airy otherwise i feel like i'm there's something that's connected in my head like what that looks like when there's something that's that kind of tone but they the stakes aren't that high and I can't place it now, but I feel like I I have an idea of what that kind of movie looks like. Well, honestly, to me, and I know that we have differing feelings on this filmmaker, but the works of Wes Anderson that I don't care for mm. is to me that where it goes from like where characters tend to just sort of declare how they feel um, in sort of a detached way. Now, in some movies like Royal Tenenbaums, they manage to make it work, um, whereas others it just kind of full the style so folds in on itself for me mm-hmm. that I have, a, it, it just keeps me at arm's length. Whereas this, I was, I too was worried that it was just going to be that the whole time that it was just going to be so cold and so numb and so purely intellectual that it wasn't going to be welcoming, welcoming me in emotionally, mm-hmm. but it eventually does yeah. much to my surprise. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that's the other thing is that, it spends so much time revealing the world that once the actual story kicks in, I was worried that I would not care. And I would just be like, no, I just want to see more of this world and see more of the rules and that sort of thing. And I don't really, and the, the proper, the, the story proper doesn't really kick in until well, well into the film. Yeah. You start to wonder exactly what's going to happen pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty far in. Um, it doesn't have a, doesn't, I don't think it has a, a, uh, strict three act structure. I wouldn't say. Yeah. Not really. Um, I mean, you, you could break it into that, but, uh, time wise at least like, yeah. I mean, it's very just like 
there are definite sections to the film. Mm-hmm. And I would say there are probably three of them. Yeah. Um, you know, which could basically be character getting used to his surroundings, character adapting and navigating his surroundings and starting to feel that ticking clock. And then his character, I guess, spoilers. I mean, frankly, I can't imagine anybody who, ha- who hasn't seen the film. Um, I don't know. It's tough with a movie like this. Yeah. There are some people who might decide whether or not to see the movie based on this. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to say. I don't know. What do you think? We don't have to give everything away, but we could say, uh, um, we could go into a little bit. I, we'll have to go into a little bit more detail. Yeah. So, um, there are like a, a big section of the film becomes what happens when he tries to get away from the hotel right. and becomes involved with a, another group of people, the loners yeah. who uh, are so against the ideas that the, their society, uh, the ideals of their society that uh, they, they refuse to have any kind of romantic interaction Yeah, like, and that's punishable by just, that's the thing, so much of this, and this, and that actually brings me to maybe one of my favorite things about it. I like sci-fi that is not immediately sci-fi. Yeah. And it's arguable, like, just because something takes place in a dystopian future doesn't, does that, does that automatically make it sci-fi? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. So I guess you could say it's fantasy or it's just like a, a drama that takes place in a specific vision of the future. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some people might. You know, when you say dystopian future, some people might just say like, okay, we know what that means. Right. Um, or one could say, frankly, it's, one could also say that it's just an alternate version of our present. We don't see any kind of crazy uh, technology no, aside from no. the technology to turn people into animals. <laughs> and even then we don't see that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. And so I think that's, that's the other thing that I like and that, and that it's something that intrigues me about, about Dogtooth is that uh, Yorgos Lanthimos is just such a just there's such a freshness to the way he makes movies like i'm not yeah. going to i'm not going to adhere to a strict three-act structure i'm not i'm going to make something about the future maybe i guess i don't know could also be the present i'm not going to be this isn't going to be sci-fi it's not going to be fantasy it's not going to be comedy it's not going to be drama it's just going to be the story i'm telling and can't right. that be enough yeah and it's kind of invigorating yeah no definitely so it feels it feels unique it feels different and uh, everything about that world is interesting. Like you, you yeah. want to know more about it. You want to spend more time in it. Um, and you don't, that's the other thing. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, and I think that, that type of world building is very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, especially I, I think the, the movie climate currently is a lot of, you know, with so many sequels and so many, uh, uh already established, um, properties that we're going back to over and over again it it feels dangerous to try and do something that is a fully new fully a, a fully new unfamiliar world yeah and uh i honestly worry a little bit that filmmakers are learning less and less how to do that because if new filmmakers are coming up seeing a lot of films that are just kind of the same worlds yeah. just sort of reimagined a little bit differently which takes talent and you know no sure. doubt but uh, there's something different about creating something that's totally new and that you really feel that here. Well, and I do, and I, I look at that and I just try to think in terms of like, okay, well, 
a lot of the filmmakers that I get excited about over the last few years, the, the up and comers, um, you know, you actually see a lot of references, uh, visually, tonally to movies from the eighties mm-hmm. and nineties. Cause these are people, you know, about our age, maybe a few years older, mm-hmm. um, who were raised with the movies that we were raised on. And it's not like the eighties were the height of originality, but it's when, it's when technology and special effects really, really started to allow filmmakers to create entire worlds. Mm-hmm. And so I think people inspired by that are going to try and emulate that. Uh, the studio, the studios might not let them, mm-hmm. but it could, it could wind up being, it's like, all right, you're going to make a superhero movie. And if that makes a lot of money, you can then make your own movie. And then, then that's where you'll realize your vision. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think of somebody like a JJ Abrams who, yes, he made a mission impossible movie, a really good one, by the way. Um, and then he made, you know, super eight. <laughs> Did he make super eight after star Trek? Uh, I don't recall. Uh, no, I can't remember. I think he I made it in between, yes. but I'm not a hundred percent. But anyway, um, so it's just like, okay. And he's going to make star Trek. And it's like, yeah, you can maybe reimagine this, but it also has to be kind of by the numbers for the most part. But then, you know, he makes super eight, which yes, is very much a throwback to Steven Spielberg, but it's still his vision, his mythology. He, this is the movie he wants to make. And I feel like that's a thing that, that is pretty common, you know, and, it's actually happening a lot with horror right now. Mm, yeah, um, I feel like horror is a good genre right now, yeah. which is bad for me because I can't see a lot of these movies. I know, but, but you can, you know, we watched Your Next, you know, I'm. Yeah. we watched, we, we talked about The Guest, that's the same filmmakers. Yeah. I like I like Ben Wheatley movies, I've seen some of yeah. his, and they're not strictly horror, but uh, like Killist horror, is, yeah. is pretty close. Um, and you still haven't seen it follows, which is very much influenced yeah. by eighties horror yeah. and stuff. So, you know, and don't get me wrong, like to say like, oh, well they're influenced by these things. So they'll just try to emulate it. It's like, they probably won't, they'll probably try to adapt it and just kind of put it through their own filter and it, and create something new, Yeah, you know? Um, but that's the thing. People like Yorgos Lanthimos, like who knows what might happen in the future with him? Like, I don't, it's not like this movie's a runaway hit or anything like mm-hmm. that, but you know, if it, it's doing fairly well critically and maybe he, maybe, and this was his first English, English language film and maybe yeah. he'll make another and then another, not that that's necessary, but it means that it'll, it'll reach a wider audience. Yeah. He made a movie between Dogtooth and this too, which I don't know very much about, but I found it online and now I oh, want to okay. see it. I, I forget what it's called. Yeah, it's, I mean, definitely when I saw this movie, because I had heard a lot about Dogtooth and I kind of knew what it was about at the time. And it just, and it was on Netflix for a while and I just didn't get around to seeing it. And now I'm kicking myself for Mm -hmm. that because I feel like I would have, maybe not enjoyed, but I feel like I would have appreciated this film more had I seen Dogtooth first. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe vice versa. Yeah, I don't know. I I think you'll like it either way. And I think... um... I, for me, all it did was make me more excited to see this film. Okay. Because okay. I, th- I thought I really liked what he did with that and, um, uh, yeah, in the world creation and the, the stuff that he does with character and very, like, uh, the, the edge and the comedy and all that stuff. And, and I was just looking forward to seeing all of that. And, you know, part of, part of world creation comes not merely in how the film looks or how it's even cut together, but like it's, it really does start with the script 
and then having getting the right actors to realize it because a big part of of creating a world that is fully formed is showing us that the characters all know the they all know the drill they right. all know how this works yeah so even though we have a character that's new to the hotel and is learning the ropes at no point is he saying does he say this is insane like everyone just knows this is how it works yeah and uh, and that does such a good job of just pulling you in and it just, it all just feels so darkly absurd and, and I would be horrified if I wasn't also so fascinated. Mm-hmm. And then, because then it also allows you, whether it's the dystopian future and alternate present, whatever you want to say, um, it also allows you to think about, and I think you mentioned this before, how did they arrive here? Yeah. Like at what point did everybody say, okay, it's all couples. That's yeah. how it's going to be to such a degree. In fact, that if you can't achieve this thing that is, you know, surely anybody could fall in love in 45 days. No question. Um, like how did they get to, how did they come to that conclusion? And then how did they convince everybody to go along with it? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, because I feel like in a culture like this, where people understand that they have to go, uh, they have to go become animals. <laughs> I feel like you have to instill a certain degree of self-hatred there. Yeah. Like I don't, I couldn't find love. I don't deserve to be a person. Yeah. It's almost like Logan's run in a way. Which I've never seen. I, I have, don't think I've ever seen the whole thing, but just that concept of like everybody in the world knows like, oh, when this thing flashes in your hand, yeah, it's time to go. Yeah. And that's the thing is that's a very, sci- that's why I think of this as a sci-fi kind of yeah, thing because it's yeah. a very sci-fi idea. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, that story, the lottery or whatever, just right. everyone as as horrifying as the rules can be everybody just accepts them. Right. Um, and, and that's why there needs to be a certain degree, you know, the actors all have to totally get it right? because you can't have a lot of variable in those performances yeah. because everybody knows the drill. Everybody understands what, um, you know, for, as different as, as humans in the modern world can be, if somebody came from a completely other planet and just kind of observed, they'd probably see that we all kind of talk the same, walk the same, relate to each other in a similar way. Like aside from the occasional eccentric or straight up crazy person, we're all fairly civilized and we don't raise our voices very much. We tend not to get that emotional in certain, in most situations. And so there's a a uniformity to the way, you know, it's the kind of the social contract sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely what is going on here. And if you had any performance that was like out of step with the rest, it would stick out and it would actually, you know, suddenly it's just like, oh, there's a, there's a panel missing in this, uh, in this Truman show, uh, sky Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the seams a little bit, but everybody just gets it completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's not just casting. That's a good director too. That's director who knows exactly how to instill this world in those characters and get them to understand it. Because it would have been super easy for all of these performances to just be flat. Yeah. But they're not flat. Yeah. They're, they they're are. like different tones of, uh, uh, emotionless and removed. Yeah. And, you know, and we do in some cases take our cues from the main character who is, I think just numb. 
Mm-hmm. And in his own way, one can make the argument. And okay, hang on a minute. He's in a he's sort of in the grief process. In this case, it's he's grieving his marriage, which is now over. But then you come to realize, well, everybody is there within within forty five days or fewer of something ending. It could be by way of death. It could be by way of of a breakup or abandonment or whatever it is. But they are all still in that mindset. So it would explain why everybody's a little bit seems very sedate because they're all in sort of this mourning period, but at the same time, they're not allowed to fully mourn, which is, which we'll get into the the themes a little bit. But, and so that's the thing that I was only thinking about just now with characters like Ben Wishaw's character who is given a name, but is only referred to here as limping man. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But, um, you know, he's there because his wife died only a few days before. So it would explain why he is sort of like this. But then you come to realize, yeah, nobody is here because they want to be. Everybody is here because they are forced to be. And they're probably still in the position of emotionally coming to grips with what has happened, um, which would explain why the world that we're seeing is just a little bit melancholy and sad and absurd and mournful because it's just people trying to find their bearings both emotionally and practically. Mm. Um, and I will use that to get us into the performances. Colin Farrell a few years ago decided to reinvent himself as a comedic actor. And even though there's, even though this is a very specific type of comedic performance, um, you know, I never would have thought that that guy who's, you know, a good looking, this, you know, good looking smoldering Irishman, mm-hmm. uh, I never thought that he would be such an effective comedic actor. Yeah. Um, and this type of comedic actor either. Right. Like in Bruges, did you ever see in Bruges? Yes. Okay. Like where there's an energy. He's and kind he's, of brash and ballsy yeah. and that seems more, that seems easier for him maybe. Right. Um, something that plays a little bit more into his his wheelhouse and his maybe even yeah. public persona. Not to download play that performance either though. Cause he's yes, funny in that movie. Marvelous. Um, but yeah, in this, like, you know, he clearly gained weight. He grew a horrible mustache and <laughs> he's wearing these unflattering glasses and he's just yeah. very much a sad sack. And my first invariably anytime, like a good looking actor or actress plays a character that is not inherently good looking or is meant to look kind of plain. I do find myself wondering like, you know, they probably could have just given that to a character actor that looks like that already. Isn't it bad enough that like these <laughs> very attractive people get all the leads? Um, but then, but that's the thing. That thought goes away when I see the performance he's giving because it is a fully lived in, fleshed out performance. And he's not given a whole lot of emotion, uh, uh, external emotional tools to work with. Everything has to be on the inside. And I, but you can always tell that what he is feeling is real and he is feeling things much in, in, he does pursue a certain relationship with a woman who has no heart. Um, her character's name is a heartless woman. (laughs) Um, he does pursue a relationship with her and then starts to kind of mirror the lack of feeling that she has. Uh, but it just, he can't do that for very long because he is still a human being with emotions and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, other, other actors involved, uh, include John C. Riley, who is, you know, it's weird cause it's a comedy, but he's sort of the comic relief. He's kind of an oaf, which yeah. he tends to play pretty well. <laughs> um, 
and not a not a hundred not a one hundred percent likable oaf either. Yeah. So and he uh, has a lisp. His character's name is uh, Lisping Man. <laughs> so uh, and then other actors include Rachel Weisz, uh, Ben Wishaw, as I said before, Olivia Coleman, who does wonderfully, uh, Leah Saidu, I think is how you say it, and uh, a number of others. But uh, yeah, just a really solid cast of people who, you know, I'd say maybe the fact that it's an international cast leads to, I don't know, maybe that lends itself to creating, crafting this tone. Um, almost like, it's like they all have to sort of speak a common emotional language rather than bring all their, their different cultures to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to, I don't know, it's uh, something I just thought about because I, aside from John C. Reilly, like there's not a lot of, not a lot of Americans. It's not purely British or French or any of these other things. So I don't know. That's uh, interesting. And it's, and it's made by a guy who is Greek. Yeah. So, and I do like the fact that you hear all different kinds of accents and stuff because it implies that no matter where you live in the world, you end up, you here. end up at the yeah. hotel, the hotel, California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can leave. You might also be a lobster. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave if you are a lobster. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, were there any other performances? I mean, I love all the performances. Uh, were there any that stuck out to you uh, for any particular reason? Um, I don't know. I mean, Colin Farrell's is my favorite, I think, but we spend the most time with him, so right. that, that makes sense. Um, I really like what everyone's what everyone's doing. Uh, Rachel Rachel Vice's character has to sort of. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting what she does at the end because she had, they both have a little bit of an arc towards the end. Yeah. And so the, the, the change that has to come about in them is, is interesting. I think I, I like the way that that plays out. Um, yeah. Which does speak to the fact. So Rachel Weiss turn is one of the loners and as is uh, Leah Sedu and Michael Smiley. Um, and their performances have to be different because yeah. they have broken out of this, but they still, I think the characters clearly still long for structure and a certain authoritarianism, but there's, there's definitely a, a more, more vibrance to their emotions. Right. And for, for her and for, and for Colin Farrell, ultimately they, it's almost like they kind of regress to a childish state when they find that maybe there's something else than, uh, that, that there may be another choice than the two options that they've been given. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of like the way that that plays out. That's yeah. almost kind of silly. Um, it, it It's like it, seeing people enjoy things in a world where no one ever enjoys anything. Yeah. It's like they're discovering ice cream for the first time or something, and they, they, but they don't know what to do with it. I don't know. Of course, know. you'd pick something sweet. Yeah, of course. Um, no, I I agree with you completely. And what I like is that and it also lends itself to, again, the, the larger world. I, I, I'm sorry to keep coming back to this world building idea, but one thing that I really love is that as we shift from the hotel to the world of the loners and we see that they have maybe not as many rules, but they have their own little culture and they definitely have rules. Yeah, they're just as strict. They're just as strict, and but they're going just the other way, which is, okay, uh, instead of you have to be part of a couple, now it's you have to stay single. That's how it works. We're the loners. This is how it works. 
dig your own grave. You know, there's literally a part where yeah. uh, the main character, uh, not the main character, the, the, the woman in charge takes the, the David character. And I think she suspects him of maybe being in a relationship. And so she has him dig his own grave. Not for any particular reason, but I think the message comes across. Uh, and that's when you realize that like what has infected this culture, what has infected this world emotionally has seeped down so far that even when you rebel against it, the tone will be the same. The, yeah. the execution will be the same. Yeah. There's never any true freedom. There's never any, you're free of the hotel. You can do what you want. You can be with someone. You cannot be with someone. Uh, whatever you want to do is fine. It's definitely not that. It's everything in this world is about labels. It is about what is your defining characteristic? Okay, you need to find somebody else with that. Ideally, you will find somebody else with that defining characteristic. And that is the only possible way you can be together. Like it's, it's everything is so regimented um, that it's just so oppressive. And, and even now the loners obviously don't have to worry about compatibility because you're not allowed to be with anybody. And if mm-hmm. you kiss, ugh, and if you kiss someone, you have to like slash your lips with like a razor blade or something like that. I mean, it's, and so, okay. So just now what I have said is horrifying and undoubtedly <laughs> you listening are, are, if you haven't seen the film, you're thinking, what, it, <laughs> what, wait a minute, what, um, but let's let's start to de- and I don't want to I don't want to say too much because I don't want to rob people of once again the joy of discovery here. But let's really dig down into and give at least a few examples of the way this world works. So everything is about you need to find. Let's go back to the hotel. Everything is about you need to find a partner. So they will incorp they will they will have incentives. One is that they will and. I'll try to be as tactful as I can. They will have like the maid come and just like grind on you like sexually, but with no release at all. Because on top of everything else, masturbation is not allowed because that that keeps you to yourself. Mm -hmm. So they keep you like in a heightened state of sexuality. You're not allowed to, you know, take care of it yourself. All of this so that you have even more incentive to go and find somebody so that you get that kind of yeah. release. And that scene with the where we discover that uh, odd maid service is uncomfortable and then actually laugh out loud funny because <laughs> Colin Farrell sells this line where he's like, that's awful. That's just awful. Um, and uh, and I love stuff. Uh, stuff like that is funny. And then when we find out. The masturbation is not allowed. That is a deeply disturbing scene. Yeah. Uh, the punishment that comes from that. Yeah. Um, so it's both, there's both positive, there, that's the negative reinforcement. And then the, the positive reinforcement are things like they create dances or like they, they yeah. create all of this uh, stuff that has a, a sheen of romance on it, but is clearly devoid of anything like that. Yeah. Um, but they're still, I don't know, I don't know if they're clinging to some sort of idea that like, this is what makes people want to pair off. Yeah. It's it, if anything, it almost, it almost, you could make an argument that this movie is about an alien culture trying their best to approximate human culture, (laughs) but not really getting it. Um, and, 
you know, and you, you're right. Like there's this sheen, but it is only ever that, like the dance that you're talking about, you know, it's lit romantically. There's this music playing that is sometimes kind of silly, but theoretically it's romantic. And then the dance is over and they pull down the curtain and it's like broad daylight (laughs) and it just comes streaming in the windows. And you realize that like, oh yeah, the atmosphere they created was only ever that just an atmosphere that was created. And once it's, once it's done, it's done and it's time to move on with the rest of your day. Yeah. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, and man, it is just directed and edited and written so well. Like it is just, there is not, in my opinion, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as say the film is perfect, but like there is not one wrong note, like knowing exactly like how a scene needs to end for maximum Im- intellectual and emotional and thematic impact on the audience. Th- like that is, that is what I would say is, is this director's, at least in this film, his greatest strength is just mm-hmm. knowing, you know, no scene goes on longer than it should. Uh, once the point is made, he moves on, but he will also take as much time as he needs to, to make that point. Yeah. You know, um, so I'm trying to think if there's any other, you know, again, without getting too specific, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I want to talk about, uh, in regards to choices of the filmmaker, uh, makes and that sort of thing. There is one, there is one element to the, to the film where you can get days added to your, for lack of a better term, sentence. And the way to do that is everybody gets these tranquilizer guns and they go out into the forest and they shoot loners (laughs) and then bring them back to the hotel. Yeah. And Um, for everyone that you bring back, you get another day. Yeah. So there are people who, and it's, it's just so interesting because if you want to look at it symbolically, and I, I guess this maybe more a function of a thematic discussion but if you want to look at it symbolically it's like well if you can't uh if you can't find somebody of your own if you're if you're miserable you might as well make other people miserable too and drag (laughs) them into your situation as well yeah um so uh so yeah it was i will i will get us into the companion film which i think maybe does quite possibly an even better job Arguably, I don't know. This film's pretty flawless when it comes mm-hmm. to crafting uh, a, a fully realized world, um, and doing so in a way that is not self-conscious. Whereas the companion film has a lot more ornamentation to work with. Yeah. Um. And so the companion film is Terry Gilliam's marvelous Brazil. Um. Nominated for Best Original Screenplay, appropriately, and Best Art Direction, also appropriately. How it did not win Art Direction, I don't know. But just that ductwork, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, is what it's all about. So it's Terry Gilliam. If you know Terry Gilliam, you know that he is a certainly a visual stylist, not always the most... Uh, not of, always of the most beautiful images, even when he's making, like, seemingly... Uh, fantasy kids movies it's still pretty ugly looking <laughs> like adventures of baron munchausen and yeah. um uh time bandits and that sort of thing yeah and then he also made fear and loathing in las vegas <laughs> he sure did so uh and a number of others he made the fisher king which actually is a pretty uh accessible film i don't think i've seen that one it's it's good not great um mm. but i can, and you can definitely see terry gilliam in it in he's not opposed to a certain manic tone. So right. Yeah. While there is, 
it would appear that the world of Brazil, which de- definitely is a dystopian future, it's basically like a comedic 1984. Like, it's very Orwellian. Yeah. Um, and while the world does seem to discourage emotion, everything seems very drab, uh, these are not emotionless characters. Now, yeah. it is often panic and fear that drives them. Um, and so we get a lot of, like, histrionic performances that I still enjoy. Yeah. Um, I feel like... Um, either in the book or in the films or both of uh, of the Hunger Games, I feel like the the higher up people, like the rich people in mm-hmm. those, the, the District 1 people in sure. those stories are, have to be influenced by kind of the elite of Brazil. Like, And you know, it's, it, it doesn't, I'll, it's probably the books then because it doesn't mm-hmm. really come through in the movies. Mm-hmm. Certainly the Maybe. opulence of of the people in charge uh, and, and the the elites, that does come through. But as far as the way they present themselves, there's really not much of that. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, and Brazil, it's it's kind of you know it's it's Orwellian with I'd say a little bit of Kafka in there, mm-hmm. um, where there's this guy who has this very uh, boring job with. I'd say the government. I don't know. Everything kind of seems to be the government. <laughs> yeah. Um, every job and it's very bureaucratic and that sort of thing, you know, again, very Orwellian. And so it's this guy who's played by Jonathan Price, who's something of a dreamer and, uh, he's trying to sort of navigate the, the expectations put on him by society, by his own mother. Uh, but then once he fall, he finds a girl and falls in love and decides to, in his own way, rebel against this, uh, this society, in some cases by simply allowing himself to be in love and feel emotions that the, the world is not comfortable with. Um, when I first saw Brazil, I was in high school. I did not know what it was going to be. I simply heard that it was pretty good. So then I throw in this nightmare, um, this funny nightmare. And I mean, it blew me away. I thought it was amazing. I still think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I, I actually rewatched it, uh, not long ago, several months ago. And, uh, I was reminded of just how, you know, and I have the criterion, like three DVD set yeah, where there's, I have to. there's all these different versions. Like I don't have the time to watch all the, even the short one is like two hours and 20 minutes. Um, but, uh, I think I've only, no. Okay. I've seen the love conquers all edition, mm-hmm. which is the, that's you know, the shorter one. That's right? the shorter one. Yeah. That's the studio one. Yeah. And then I don't remember what the other one is called, but basically the director's cut, the uh, one could say the cynical ending cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's very dark and I love the film and li- listeners, if you've not seen Brazil, seek it out and uh, you know the one problem that i have with my dvd set is that it's not blu-ray because <laughs> yeah. i bet it looks beautiful on blue well beautiful is a relative term but yeah. i bet it looks crystal clear on blu-ray <laughs> um are you a fan of brazil or I am, you yeah are? yeah i like that i think that might be uh, i'm trying to think if that's my favorite terry gilliam film it probably is it definitely is for me um because I, I go back and forth to some of his other ones but uh um yeah, no, I, this, that's another one where the world building is is done very well. Uh, you have a, a, a distinct idea of what this place is, even though it's it's very alien to us. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's a it's a movie where Terry Williams' tendency towards the manic works very well. Yeah. 
because uh, I think there are other films of his I've seen where it doesn't work that well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he excels here. I think Jonathan Price is great in it. I think Robert De Niro is playing such a strange part yeah. for him, but but uh, he he's great in it as well. Ian um, Holm, always dependable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, of course, Catherine Hellmond, who we all know from Who's the Boss, uh, <laughs> playing a very grotesque woman, um, who is Jonathan Price's mother. She uh, yeah. is who she plays. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, when she goes to – she is affluent, and so when she goes to uh, look younger uh, and has, like, a facelift or a face stretch, uh, it is quite literal, you know. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the things that I like about it. Is it the film? Yes, it's a science fiction film, but apparently in the future, faces can stretch more than in the present. <laughs> you know, it's just that kind of, you know, everything's definitely exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, to uh, and to me, it's like, it's the funnier it is, somehow the more tragic it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that kind of, I mean, you mentioned before, like you really enjoy like a good sardonic comedy. This yeah. might be... A, this is not the darkest comedy I've ever seen, but it's among them. Yeah. Um, because so much of the, of the humor comes from, you know, this, this incredulous, like, I can't believe these characters live like this. Right. How do they let themselves live like this? Yeah. You almost get angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's just, and, and I don't know what it is, but there's something about, well, it could be a certain type of stand-up comedy. It could be a movie or whatever it is that, like, it is somehow possible for comedy, comedy, like laugh out loud comedy, to be more depressing <laughs> than the most dour of dramas. Yeah, I don't know how that's possible. Do you have any theories? You're a comedy guy. Um, because these are both funny movies that are at right. times deeply disturbing and depressing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're just movies that are, and this can happen either in comedy or drama, uh, is that they connect to something, to, to real anxieties or real fears. Yeah. And uh, I think comedies that do that can tend to draw us in a little bit more because uh, because they're cut with humor, you know? You, yeah. you, you get, you come in for the humor and you then... You, you're more invested in that world. Whereas if there's something that is, is depressing, but is just depressing through and through, you kind of stay at arm's length from it a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think it, it, it disarms you with humor. And while you're disarmed, it hurts you more, you know? Uh, and yeah. And you know, Brazil is one of the best comedies ever made. And I think one of the best, best science fiction movies ever made, um, with a great cast all around you. This includes, you know, Terry Gilliam, for those that don't know, got his start in Monty Python. So you, you know, here's Michael Palin in the film and it's just done with a very British sensibility. Um, and so you have Ian Holm, you have, uh, Jim Broadbent is in there, uh, Ian Richardson. And so, uh, so yes, once again, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. So to move on to the thematic discussion, I will say that both of these films are about micromanagement and about society, you could say culture, you could say society, you could say the government, whatever it is, just the th- the thing that connects all of us and just permeates the world we live in, um, that 
it is very oppressive and it is not individualistic. Mm-hmm. It is, you need to be this. Your life needs to look like this and you need to embody these, not even values, not even philosophies. You just need to be this way. Yeah. Um, and it is heartbreaking at times to say, to see the way these characters try to conform Mm -hmm. and then realize that they can't and then that they have a choice to make. Um, and you know, and I won't go into detail here, but to me, I mean, I love the ending of the lobster. Yeah. I know a lot of people in my critic screening did not seem to care for it (laughs) for admittedly, you know, it leaves you, uh, hanging. Mm -hmm. Um, and, it's it's a very difficult concept uh the the ending of the film but to me uh it's a character who he basically without without getting into specifics he is he's now with this Rachel Vice character and he has even though they have kind of run off and they're trying to do their own thing they they have still internalized the values of the culture to such a degree that they still kind of feel like, well, we're not, we don't have a common trait, you know, it's, oh, uh, you know, in, in the film you have uh, a, a woman who occasionally bleeds from her nose. And so you have a guy who doesn't bleed from his nose, but he smashes himself in the face <laughs> just to, to make show it that look like, like he does. Yeah, yeah. And like, oh, look, I ha- we have this common trait. Like that's, how and it's often quite violent when he smashes himself in the face and it's often unexpected um but that's how much people want to connect in this in this fairly superficial way and so something happens to the Rachel Vice character and it's something very concrete and now the Colin Farrell character is like well that's something i can latch on to i can try to do that i can emulate that and now we have a common trait now we can be together Mm -hmm. never mind the fact that the common trait is already there the common trait is that they love each other yeah and that concept even though they are probably at this point freer than they've ever been and that anybody else in the film ever is um they still subscribe to this deeper idea of well i still need to it still needs to look like this yeah and either way they still live in this world so if if uh even if they were to break beyond uh beyond that sort of understanding of partnering yeah they still live in a world that doesn't understand that so they, they they would still be in a situation where they would have to explain why why do they fit together yeah you know, but, but rather, but that's the thing. If it were, if it were purely that, then it's like, okay, you cough occasionally, I'll cough occasionally. We'll both say that we have lung, you know, stuff going on with our lungs. That's, you know, that's a, that's an easily fakeable thing for the outside world. This is for themselves. Mm -hmm. And this, and so it ends again on this cliffhanger where you don't know the choice that Colin Farrell is going to make. Is he, has he broken free enough that he recognizes, I don't need to do this. And in fact, it would be much better for our relationship <laughs> if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Or is he, fi- Is he when the chips are down, is he going to embrace the core, some of the core truths told to him by this culture? And, you know, cut to black. And uh, boy, it is, 
you know, in in one way, if listeners, if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. In a way, that cut to black is like, oh, thank God. <laughs> but in another, it's like, well, wait a minute, what happens? But I like that it doesn't give you that resolution one way or another because it leaves, you know, I'm a big fan of this. It leaves you wondering and it leaves you maybe applying these ideas to your own life. Yeah. Um, so the thing that I wanted to talk about, and I need to be careful how I talk about this because, um, you know, everything I say here and everything I've just said, in fact, could be something that people could, uh, they could be charges that, that people could easily level at the church which is the church has a clear idea of what love looks like and you need to conform to that thing. Otherwise you'll be punished and blah, blah, blah. They can say that and uh, you've got a point. But oddly enough, I actually wanted to talk about something even bigger than love. Um, I wanted to talk about just general emotions, general states of being um, and the idea that we are not, whether it be Christian or otherwise, but we can zero in on the Christian, on Christian culture. We aren't super comfortable with certain emotional states of being. So I'm going to read partially because I so badly want to, so that you get a general idea of how the, how the lobster is written. But there's this monologue said by Ben Wishaw's character. So he goes up in front of everybody. He's a, he's new to the hotel, so he needs to be he needs to present himself. And he says, "Hello everyone. My mother was left on her own when my father fell in love with a woman who was better at math than she was. She had a postgraduate degree, I think, whereas my mother was only a graduate. I was 19 at the time. My mother entered the hotel but didn't make it and was turned into a wolf. I really missed her. I found out she had been moved to the zoo." I often went there to see her. I'd give her raw meat. I knew that wolves liked raw meat, but I couldn't figure out which of the wolves was my mother, so I used to give a little bit to each one of them. One day I decided to enter the enclosure. I really missed her and I wanted a hug. I climbed the fence and jumped in. All the wolves charged at once and all the wolves charged at once and attacked me, all but two who stood motionless. My guess is that one of the two must have been my mother. The zoo guards got to me quite quickly and took me to the hospital. Thankfully I didn't lose my leg. I just have this limp, which is also my defining characteristic. My wife died six days ago. She was very beautiful, and I loved her very much. She had a limp, too. First off, that is almost beautiful. Like, I love the way that's written. Mm. Because even though he is saying this in somewhat of a robotic fashion, look at what he's saying. He's talking about, I missed my mom, and I wanted a hug. Mm -hmm. My wife was very beautiful, and I loved her. Like, he's these are real things that he's talking about. Um but at the same time, let's not forget, his wife also had a limp. Like, yeah. she had her defying characteristic. That's how they connected. And yet, and they probably actually did connect, and that's great. But in the end, they connected in this way. Yeah, and then this ends up being the character who will fake yes. the nosebleed in order to couple up with someone else. Yeah, and, you know, and it, in this case, it could be because he doesn't want to be turned into an animal. It could also be... Because he's lonely and he mm -hmm. wants to connect with somebody in some way. Um, and I think what really stuck out at me was when he said, my wife died six days ago. Yeah. Because that happens early enough in the film that it's jarring. And it just and it colors everything I see in that character from mm -hmm. then on. Yeah. Like literally, wife is dead. Like she died six days ago. So they probably just got her in the ground or whatever it is they do in this world uh, a couple days ago. 
And now it's off to the hotel with you. Yeah. And it's just so, it just seems so callous. And that, it it almost, I might be bringing stuff to this, but it almost feels like the world doesn't know what to do with that. It's like, oh, you're, you lost someone, you're grieving, you don't know what to do, you feel hopeless. Uh, we're just going to have to ship you off somewhere because I don't know what to say. I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. Your loss is making me uncomfortable. Yeah, it's time to move on. Yeah. Um, and that is very much the the vibe that I not not even the vibe. I mean, it's definitely explored. Um, you know, and there's a there's some narration in the film done by Rachel Weiss in which she says back this is reference to the the Colin Farrell character. She says, back then, he didn't know how much it hurts to be alone, how much it hurts when, when you cannot reach to rub, ba- uh, rub pain ointment on your back and you are constantly in pain. That's a thing that, you know, he deals with back pain and his wife would rub this ointment on his back and he wouldn't be in pain. And now it's a wonderful, you know, it's a nice visual that he doesn't have anybody to do that. So he's literally physically in pain, but obviously he's emotionally in pain as well. Mm-hmm. And so we have these characters that are alone and... It's not even that society itself does not want to deal with them. But once they're in the hotel, it's not, okay, you're in the hot- you're you're in a place for grief, you're in a place for depression, you're in a place for loneliness. It's okay, you're here. We all know why you're here. You are allowed 45 days of grace. And if you're not like everybody else, if you're not better by the end of this, then you know what? Now we really need to get rid of you. Yeah. Because at this point, you as a human are hopeless. Right. Um, and thematically, it's just, it's, uh, I like the way that it's, I mean, they physically, that they literally dehumanize the people, yeah. you know, like they, they, they turn them into animals eventually. And uh, this sort of breakdown of uh, humanity is one of the things that I like the most about it. Yeah. Um, because there's that literal sense, but also we, we see them, all, all the other things slowly being taken away. They, they all dress the same, so the individuality is taken away. Um, uh, and then the, the loners aren't that much different. They're, they're, yeah. they're, um, there's still a forced uniformity there, and I like that the, their two characters have to figure out a way to communicate without talking. Yeah. Um, because their, their communication is, is stripped away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then even more stuff is, is stripped away, uh, from them as they go along. And it turns out the loners are in many cases, just as brutal, if not more brutal than the people at the hotel. Yeah. Um, and so the reason that I want to bring this up is because, you know, um, and this is, this has been a common theme, uh, on the podcast is that, I think a lot of people look at the hope that we find in Christ and they, I would say rightly, feel that that should wash over us and wash over every element of our lives and give us hope. And I'm on board with that. That is correct. But I think a lot of people mistake hope for constant cheerfulness or at least a constant, upbeat, optimistic attitude. Um, And so as somebody who is dealt with his fair share of, of negative, uh, emotions. It could, and I, not even emotions, but stuff like depression, um, and feelings of self-hatred and then also feelings of loss and grief and, uh, frustration and all these things, you know, 
very basic human emotions and part of the human experience. Uh, but I have experienced uh, Christians in the community. I'm sure listeners you might have as well. Christians in the community who are who just cannot reconcile these emotions, these dark emotions with with well, wait a minute, don't you have Jesus? Don't you have hope in your life? How can you how can you live like this? How can you feel like this for an extended period of time? Sure, I'll give you a little bit. We all have our dark days. But I mean, you know, why can't you cheer up? Can't you pray? You know, can't you pray about it? Can't you ask God to take it from you? Can't you at the very least take joy in the fact that God is in control or whatever it is? And none of that is necessarily bad advice. Uh, but the impression that I got from the, frankly, various people that expressed these to me is that they weren't necessarily, they were trying to cheer me up, yes, and they were trying to encourage me, yes, but I think they were trying to encourage me, and yes, I recognize I am I am projecting, but having seen different, uh, different reactions, I know what actually made me feel a little bit better, at least le- helped me not to feel quite so alone in what I was feeling. I was able to observe that, and it was always the people who were actually just willing to listen to me and be okay with where I was right now. Not enough, not okay enough to just leave me there indefinitely, but at the very least to be like, you're not there by yourself. I'm there with you. God is there with you. And neither of us are trying to prematurely pull you out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that would make me feel a little bit better. That would provide me with with a fair amount of comfort. Whereas the people who said, yeah, but come on, think about this, think about this, you know. Um, in times of loss, you know, I would have people say like, oh, but you'll see them again in heaven. It's like, yeah, that's fine. That could be 60 years from now, you know? Um, and so, and I, and I, I do feel like it is, this is actually something that I was thinking about a lot in the, uh, at the International Christian Film Festival. And the thing that you and I talk about when we talk about what's, what frustrates us about Christian film is that it so rarely wants to deal with some of the darker emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm reluctant to say darker because that implies almost like a dark side kind of thing. There's nothing, I just mean like the more unpleasant emotions, like anger and sadness and loneliness and depression and betrayal and all of these things. Yeah, because uh, those are all part of the human experience. And yeah. They're not fun to talk about in a Christian movie. And yeah. uh, But, you know, those are those are real things. And I think we need to be equipped to deal with those things. And I feel like in those movies, they don't deal with those things because it almost feels, and this might be a little bit crass. It almost feels like they need to sell Christianity to the audience. Now (laughs) the audience that's seeing it, they've already bought it. Thank you. But they just want to put it out there. They want to in the, in the, in the spirit of encouraging people, they want to say like, oh, but good things can happen when you're a Christian. Good things can happen when you give things over to God. I agree completely, but it's hardly a guarantee that everything is going to go great and that you're always going to feel great. Like there's no biblical uh, precedent for that. Like a lot of a lot of the biblical figures that we love and are meant to emulate often feel distant from God. At his lowest point, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Like, and that's Jesus. And he was okay. Um, <laughs> he was pretty good most of the time. Yeah. He, you know what? He's going to be all right. <laughs> um, 
that's the thing. Like he could have, in that moment, he could have said like, I will be back or, you know, you know, I, I go into the hands of my father, whatever it is, but he didn't. He said this moment of pure loneliness and hopelessness and that sort of thing. Like it is a thing that does occur and can happen, but, but yeah. And so like, I think these movies, so they're trying to, you know, they're trying to sell Christianity. They're trying to encourage Christians and they're trying to sell Christianity to people that aren't Christian. And the best way to do that is to put your best foot forward and act like nothing bad could ever happen or you'll never feel sad again. And, and I feel like when we are, when we are Christians dealing with people who, or they could be strangers, they could be acquaintances, they could be friends, they could be relatives, they could be ourselves. Um, and we are faced with these emotions, with this part of life. Um, it sort of feels like in that moment, it, it sort of shakes us a little bit. It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought God was going to take care of me, or I thought they were going to, I thought God was going to take care of all of us, but look at what is, what God is allowing this person to go through. I don't like that. That kind of shakes me up a little bit. I don't like it. So what I will do is maybe I can try to make that. I will remind this person of something we both know that God is in control, that God loves him and everything will be fine. And then he'll feel better Then I'll feel better. And we both feel nice and safe in our faith. Um, and now once again, I am projecting, but that is definitely that is definitely the vibe that I got from a number of the people that have talked to me over the years and based on other people that I have talked to who've dealt with depression and anxiety and grief and all these other things, um, they have said that that is also their experience, um, that some Christians will reach out with the best of intentions, but it's all about stop feeling like this so that I don't have to watch it. Um, and I don't necessarily, and I don't think that's, I don't think that attitude is a biblical attitude. Um, any more than I think it's a good idea that, you know, when Ben Wishaw's wife dies, that six days later you send him off to this thing so that he can be, you know, he can be made right again. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a verse, uh, in Romans where it's Romans 12 verses 14 through 16, uh, bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So rejoice with those who rejoice. If somebody's ha you know, if somebody's happy, um, Cause I, you know what? I've also heard this. I haven't really experienced it, but I've heard this from people that they were, they, things are going well for them and they're actually very happy, but then they will actually have Christians who try to bring them down and say like, <laughs> well, don't get prideful, you know? And they'll say <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, but like never win it kind of, yeah. With some people. And I think it's just, and I think it comes from maybe an insecurity in the person who is, who's hearing what, you know, it's like, oh, this person's happy. This person's sad. It's like, ah, oh, that makes me sad. Like, I, why can't I be as happy? Well, I better bring them down. And that's actually something that I've felt in the past. Or it's, ah, oh, this person's feeling down and now it's making me feel down. So I better make them feel happy so I can feel happy. Uh, but that is not how it works. We're supposed to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. The society of the lobster is not willing to associate with people of low position. It ships them off gets them out of sight. And then once they become 
once they're re-elevated to their higher position, or at least the same position as everyone else, then they can be brought back into society and everything will be fine. And then we don't have to worry about it anymore. But, you know, the Bible is full of broken people who are trying to support each other. And yes, they are reminding each other of God's love, but they're reminding each other of like, the situation is not hopeless and you're, what you're feeling right now is legitimate and God is feeling that too. He is sad that such and such a person died. He is sad that your wife left you. He is sad that, uh, that you feel lonely and that you so badly want to be with somebody or you're single and no, and everybody makes you feel like some kind of weird pariah for that. Like God, you know, when you mourn, God mourns with you, but thankfully that doesn't have to be the end. You know, when Jesus said, you know, why have, why have you forsaken me? That was definitely not the end for him, but, and so there is a hope there, but sometimes we need to just sort of be allowed to grieve. You know, I didn't want to write down the Ecclesiastes thing because I've said it a million times, but there's, there are times for all of these, you know, there is a time for, you know, there's a time to mourn. And, um, and I think we need to be able to allow other people that and allow ourselves that as opposed to just throw some Christianese at them and try to make them feel better so that we don't have to look at them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I think I just kind of wanted to, to leave it there. That is one of the big things that I got out of the lobster. You can, the nature of the film, I will say is such that it, it explores any number of things. This is the thing that I locked onto, but Mm -hmm. there are, there are several other things that I was just like, there's a lot going on here, but not all of it makes for a more than one lesson episode. This does. So I'm going to focus on that. Yeah. I have a few other theories on what I think the, uh, the uh, ethos uh, behind the film is well. Feel free to enlighten us, Professor. Well, uh, no, I don't. I don't want to go into all that. Okay, and <laughs> and you did write a review of the lobster I did, for yeah. more than one lesson, so I will link to that written review mm-hmm. uh, on the website. But uh, but yeah, so um, I think we will leave it there. We'll keep this episode nice and short. Um, uh, I do not know what we're going to be doing next episode. But uh, I will try to announce it on the Facebook page and on Twitter once I know. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh at morethanonelesson.com. You can like us on Twitter. You can follow me. On, sorry, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Very exciting. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen it, and I think we've done a pretty good job of not spoiling much I'm spoiling too much now so if if this if the movie sounds good to you um by all means go and see it you know go in with your eyes open because there's a there's some tough stuff in the film mm-hmm. and it will often make you very uncomfortable but it will often make you laugh and it will definitely make you think and uh, about you know some of the stuff that we're talking about here about how best to to associate with people of low position uh, so to speak so Uh, Yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time.